From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for being with us. A beautiful sunny Thursday and lots to talk about on the show today. We are starting, though, with an ask for help for federal help. This coming from the TransLink's Mayor's Council, looking for some federal dollars to help pay for some very big and expensive projects. And these are projects that are planned over the next few years. Things like new bus rapid transit routes, the expansion of the bus fleet, additional bus depot capacity, along with some road safety projects. So what exactly is the ask and what happens if the feds don't come through? Brad West is joining us now, the mayor of Port Coquitlam. Mayor West, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Jill. I know that uh, the meeting uh, was specifically to look at this, asking Ottawa for some financial help. But what exactly uh, is the mayor's council? What are Metro Metro Vancouver, sorry, mayors looking for from Ottawa? Well, really, we're looking for the federal government to step up. We've come together as a group of mayors and have unanimously supported a plan that would deliver the transit and transportation options that people in our region need. Metro Vancouver is experiencing record levels of growth. Most of that is driven by the federal government's decisions around immigration targets. And you can't have, you know, 70,000 people move to Metro Vancouver every single year and keep transit services frozen and not expect to have a whole bunch more congestion and a deterioration in the quality of life of our region. Uh, so we've, we've asked them specifically to step up in a, in a number of regards. Uh, first, to take the permanent transit fund, which is something that they've announced that they're going to do, but they say, oh, we'll do it in 2026. We're saying we can't wait till 2026. We need to get these projects delivered now. Some of these projects take some time to deliver as well. You can't wait two years for people to get their ducks in a row in Ottawa when the need is urgent and the need is now. So we're asking them to accelerate that permanent transit fund. And, you know, they've already earmarked the money. So let's get that money working for people in 2024. Uh, We're also asking them to step up their support of our bus rapid transit projects, which is something that we need to deliver in our region. But all of the asks are are really a recognition of the fact that the federal government, through their decisions around immigration, are driving a huge amount of the demand that is being placed on the transit system. They're also talking a lot about housing and saying that more housing is is required for our region. Uh, They talk a lot about transit-oriented housing. You know, all of that is well and good, but if you don't have the transit and transportation piece, uh, you're just going to see more congestion. You're going to see people get more frustrated. You're going to see more traffic. And again, a deterioration in the quality of life that we've experienced here in Metro Vancouver. So really the call is for them to step up and match all the lofty words that they say with action in the federal budget. Is there a dollar figure? Well, the immediate request for this budget would be that they... Uh, fund their share of $2.1 billion worth of projects. So their share has traditionally been about 40%. So 40% of $2.1 billion um, in 2024 to begin to deliver. Um, It's worth noting, by the way, that uh, there's certainly uh, way more taxpayer money that flows out of this region and goes to Ottawa than comes back in it. Uh, And so I think 
people of Metro Vancouver uh, should really be expecting their fair share of federal investment. Um, and, you know, and that's a pretty uh, modest ask given the amount of taxpayer dollars that leave our region and go to Ottawa. You mentioned uh, bus rapid transit routes, and certainly that's something that we've been talking about with TransLink, say, giving that list or announcing that list of the three chosen routes to be the first ones. So is the funding that's being asked for today, is that to go to those specific routes that have already been announced or are those for future routes? That specific ask in, in this budget would be to be able to get those routes online. So those are the three that have been prioritized by the mayors. That's where the, the most urgent need is and where some of the most significant population growth is. And also where there's not the same level of alternative options that may exist in other parts of the region. So there's nine in total, but we understand you're not going to do all nine at once. You have to be reasonable about this. We've taken three, said these are the three priorities, and yes, we need the federal government to come to the table to deliver those. How confident are you there will be a change in in either bumping up the permanent transit fund, uh, bumping up that timeline, or finding more money? Because wouldn't the response, or have we not seen responses from the federal government before saying, well, if we do this for Vancouver, we're going to have to do this for everybody, and we don't have that money? Well, I mean, what you hear from them is a lot of positive comments and words about the need for this type of transit, uh, the need, the, a lot of positive comments around the overall plan. Um, but look, I'll be really honest, I, I'm getting pretty sick and tired of having to go say, hey, the federal government should come to the table. Um, you know, I don't like having to do this every, you know, couple months, but the reality is that um, it's often the case that, if you're not advocating for your region, then they'll just bypass. I mean, unfortunately, Vancouver is a long way from Ottawa. And so uh, we're often not part of the discussion in the same way that um, communities um, in uh, eastern uh, Canada are. Uh, and in fact, the federal government has put in a lot of money to, to those other provinces. Um, so, uh, you know, how confident Am I? Um, look, they, they've talked a good game about it. They've said that they support it. They understand the need. Um, they don't seem to disagree with any of that. Um, and now's the time for them to match those words with actual action. And I think people in Metro Vancouver should pay attention to that. You know, we're on the cusp of a federal election. Um, if, you know, if all the political parties are going to do is make promises but not actually deliver when it counts, then that's something that voters in this region should be taking into consideration when they cast their next ballot. This is also coming uh, about a month after we saw the report from TransLink that showed if, if this funding, I mean, that talked about additional revenues. It didn't specifically say from the federal government, but I'm sure that was was part of it, that if more funding wasn't found, there was going to be a pretty big gap, a gap of almost $5 billion uh, moving ahead past 2026. So if, if this money doesn't come, does that mean that some projects will have to be scaled back or projects won't be going ahead at all yeah i mean if if funding doesn't uh, materialize from the federal government and the provincial government then yeah the, the projects won't be able to move forward and uh, uh and you're going to see a deterioration uh in our transit system uh, at exactly the same time as there's never been more pressure on it i mean uh transit ridership has recovered faster in metro vancouver than anywhere in north america 
the system is full. Um, people are, are using it. Uh, there's huge demand. There's overcrowding. And, and you add 70,000 people a year. I mean, do the math, right? It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward to figure out what's going to happen. Um, so absolutely, there are very real consequences to other levels of government not delivering the funding. Um, and, and that's the part of uh, this that is their responsibility. The Mayor's Council has a very narrow uh, job and role here. Our role is to, to develop a plan, put together a vision, and then prioritize projects. We've done that. We've done that, and the mayors in this region are unanimous. I mean, when's the last time you've ever got a group of politicians, you know, let alone 23 of them, to come together and unanimously agree to something? But we have, because we recognize the needs of our region. The, the ball is now firmly in the court of the provincial and federal government. Either they, they step up and they actually deliver for people in this region, and we get these projects happening, or if they don't, you're going to see a significant deterioration in uh, our transit system. You're going to see more congestion and all the other consequences that will come with it. Are there any other ways to raise revenues? And, and maybe not to that amount or to the amount that's needed, but are there other ways as far as fare increases or, or other means that could get some of this money? Yeah, and, and from a mayor's perspective, all of that, there will be fare increases. Um, you know, but right now, there's a very limited uh, set of uh, revenue sources for TransLink, uh, and, and all of them have very significant challenges. Um, TransLink receives some uh, fuel tax revenue, uh, but it's not based on the price of gasoline. It's based on uh, the amount that's purchased, the volume. And what we've seen with more and more EVs on the road, that that is a declining revenue source, uh, and it's going to continue to decline, partly because the provincial government has said, guess what, after 2035, you're not allowed to sell any new gasoline vehicles. They're all going to be electric. So you carry that forward to its conclusion. I mean, if that revenue source that is, the TransLink uh, is dependent on it is going to evaporate. Um, and, and so that is just one example of why we are where we're at. The, the original funding model for TransLink, which was you know, set up in uh, the early 90s, um, hasn't changed, but the world has changed. And it is not up to the task of delivering what's required in 2023, let alone moving into the future. Uh, any idea when uh, you might hear back from the federal government or, or when you need to hear back from the federal government before some of those difficult decisions are made? Well, w w we do have, um, you know, current funding in place that's going to um, uh, be able to maintain the system as it's currently operating, which, again, as I said, it, it is not where we need to be or where we want to be because the system is massively overcrowded um, and it's not delivering you know, the type of service people need and deserve in this region. But, you know, that funding is in place, um, you know, through 2024, 2025. Um, but, you know, but after that, um, you know, you're looking at significant service reductions uh, to the status quo, let alone dealing with all of the additional pressure that's going to come from all those new people moving here. So the other piece of this is all this stuff takes time. You don't snap your fingers and have a, a bus rapid transit project 
um, magically materialize. You have to construct the thing. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. So you got to start right now. And so that's why we need to uh, hear from the federal government uh, in their upcoming uh, federal budget, which is expected in the spring. And so that is an important date in, in which, you know, we're going to have a pretty clear message about whether they're serious about uh, stepping up and supporting the people in our region. All right, Mayor Brad West, we'll leave it there for today, but thanks so much for making the time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Jill. Well, a new report is putting the spotlight on how people spend their money on food. This report was put out by Van City. It is the first time they have done this. It is called the Economy and Impact Report. And they took a look at credit card purchases, taking, uh, again, when it comes to food, how much people are spending on groceries that is going into the grocery stores, how much people are spending at restaurants and delivery apps. And some of the findings, not too, too surprising, but some of them might be. Joining me to talk a bit more about this and to break down the numbers is Sophie Salcido, Wealth Advisor with Van City. Sophie, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, Jill. This is the first report that focused specifically on this that Van City has put together. So looking at the spending habits of members and really zeroing in on things like groceries, restaurants and delivery apps. So can you tell us a little bit more? What specifically were you looking for in this survey? So we have the ability now through our Van City Enviro visa that we have to just sort of analyze what the spending data is looking like. So we thought, let's start with these reports. And a really interesting one is obviously food. This is universal. We all spend money on food. And really seeing what people are spending on the delivery apps for the food that they're receiving. And so we drilled down at Vansity in that data and came out with this report. So let's look at some of the findings. Because again, looking at how people have changed how they're spending, specifically when it comes to food. Um, let's look at grocery stores, because there was quite a difference in the different age groups and the, the generations, whether we're talking about Generation Z, Millennials, X, or Boomers. What did you find as far as who is shopping at grocery stores? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, we've found the older generations are really the ones doing a lot of the grocery shopping and buying in the grocery stores. Um, and we're seeing a shift. So we're seeing the younger generations. And it's really clear in our report that the, the youngest ones, Gen Z, are spending the most money, their food budget, the most of the food budget is going towards delivery apps to have smaller meal, let's say, delivered straight to their door rather than going out even to a restaurant or even into the grocery store to buy that food to make it. Uh, which uh, is, is interesting as well because uh, I know some would say, well, isn't that a lot more expensive? And in the long run, if you're not grocery shopping and making food, you're going to be spending a lot more of your budget on the delivery apps and on those meals. But but did you find, too, with so with Gen Z spending a lot on the delivery apps, how, how did that kind of compare with how other generations were spending? So what we found was that Gen Z, the youngest generation, I said, is spending about 22% of their budget now on the delivery app. And we also noticed a, ch- a change since the pandemic, which is extremely interesting, of course, too, because we all learned how to not go into a restaurant and gather and eat at home. And so some of those habits have just carried on and grown. So Gen Z is spending 22% of their food budget on a delivery app. Um, millennials, uh, 15%, the next highest. Generation X, which I am, is about 10% of their budget. So much, much lower at that point. 
And then when we go down to the uh, boomer generation, we've got 4% being spent. And then the silent generation, our oldest, our oldest people, are 2%. So it's interesting. And so I guess not not a huge surprise that it goes down by generation from youngest to oldest, but that number still for Gen Z at 22% does seem like a, a high number. Yeah, I think what you've got to think about is, and I've heard these stories from my own clients that come to see me at Fancy where someone told me years ago, oh, someone I know ordered a $20 salad and had it delivered to their door. And you think about the numbers, you think, well, if you've gotten the salad for $20 and you've spent $5 to deliver it, that's 25% of the cost of your product, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very high percentage. So we really also wanted to run this report. And I think the call to action is also to think about your budgeting and your priorities. And just we want people to know where their money is going. We're not going to say this is the wrong decision necessarily, but we want you to know, do you realize what you're spending on delivery apps that you're using? And is that the best use of your money, especially for younger people, where it's actually really important for them to do the right things at that young age with their money? Exactly. Uh, you also took a look at restaurants and that whole idea of going out to a restaurant, sitting, dining in the restaurant. And like you said, that changed completely during the pam- uh, pandemic. And the pandemic really did change the habits of consumers. But what did you find about uh, kind of pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, the generations, what percentage of the generations? generations are going to restaurants? So what we found was pre-pandemic, the Gen Z, the younger generation, 54% were going to a restaurant, which I think we understand. That's a teenager stopping in at McDonald's, right, <laughs> after school. And so that's, that's classic. And then millennials, it was 44% were doing that. And then after the pandemic, we saw Gen Z, the younger generation, went from 54 to 46%. And the millennials went from 44 to 39%. So there's been a real drop. And a lot of that growth just, just moved into the delivery app. That money moved to the delivery app. Right. So it, it wouldn't necessarily mean they're spending more or less, just kind of shifting where they're spending it? Some of it is shifting patterns, exactly. It's shifting patterns of where the money's going and how people are changing how they're living and what they're used to doing. And it's becoming more of a habit to use that delivery app to rather than even going out to the restaurant now, just having it delivered straight to them. And that maybe falls in line with just a lot of our society, if we can be honest, right? A lot of us are kind of used to gratification right now when we want it, information when we want it, and now it's the food too. I found it interesting, too. So that number, again, Jen said, when we're looking at at 2023, 46% spending it in the restaurant, and again, 22% on the delivery apps. But then when you go to the other generations, from millennials to the uh, interwar generation, the 78 plus, the numbers aren't that different. I mean, more similar millennials, Gen X, and boomers, but it's still almost 30% for the 78 plus. So still, still a lot of people clearly enjoy and like going to restaurants. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's still a gathering, a meeting place. Uh, we have to think about the economic or environment we're in as well, right? So if somebody can't afford a trip to fly somewhere on an airplane, I certainly would say that, yeah, you know what, going out for a meal in a restaurant can be your treat instead if you're doing that as a smaller scale, bigger spend. But it's a, a little bit of a treat for you. So I think there's always that space for us getting out into a restaurant for a purpose, a celebration, whatever it might be. And Sophie, going back to something you mentioned and, and the delivery, the fees on the apps, and maybe something that people aren't looking at, if you're looking at the price of the food and, and thinking that that's what you're, you're spending. But And the report goes into this a little 
little bit as well. And and people know that rents are extremely high right now. They are taking up a good portion of, of someone's take-home pay. Is this also to kind yeah. of shed light on on where the other expenses add up and where where your money specifically is going? If if you happen to be somebody who at the end of the month thinks that where did it all go? That's exactly a huge factor for this report, Jill, and and that's a big part of what Van City is all about. We really are trying to improve our members' financial well-being as as much as we can, and enlighten everybody on where our money's going, where their money's going. So this report is just trying to say, hey, have you gone into your visa bill or checked what you spent on delivery apps lately? It is very costly where we live, and I I hear it a lot from either my own 15-year-old daughter or just from my own clients that there is a lot of worry out there and I I think my preposition as a wealth advisor when I deal with my clients is I bought my own condo myself at 25 because I could save that down payment. People, every generation, even the young ones especially of course, need to just know where your money's going and be diligent about saving if you have that priority. And I always tell my younger clients that I deal with, if you've got a priority and it is to own a home, buy an apartment, You've got to just maybe be strategic, go in with a few people, think about it, but don't lose that priority if it's your dream and you want to do it. Just make sure you know where your money's going. Right, because it is easy, isn't? Oh, not easy, but it is. It is uh, more likely, I think. And the report shows again with one bedrooms renting for twenty nine hundred a month or up to three thousand a month. Trying to save is really difficult. It's a huge challenge to do that. Yeah, trying to save is extremely difficult. Not everybody can live at home, but if you're a young person and you can still live at home, then take that money, but make sure you save it towards your goal or whatever it's going to be. Um, you know, if this delivery app or a single meal is saving you money instead of going to the grocery store to make a big meal that you're not going to eat and spending a lot of money on ingredients, it's not to say any decision is wrong. Just make sure for you personally, you're making the right decision. You're spending within your means and trying to put a bit of money aside for that goal that I still think people can achieve. Maybe it has to change slightly, but I, I, I just want people to still stay positive. And most importantly, Jill, we, we want people, our members, other people, to come and seek advice. So come into Van City. We have lots of financial advisors in branch online, and just look at your budget with us. We always tend to give you a little tidbit of something useful, something you missed, something you didn't think about, how to save money. Well, it's uh, definitely uh, an interesting report uh, looking at the generations and the differences between them all. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us and taking us through this report. Thank you so much, Jill. Canadian Blood Services has announced some very exciting news saying that it has received Health Canada approval on a long-awaited eligibility change and this is a change that could potentially welcome thousands of new blood and plasma donors. Joining us to talk a bit more about this is Gail Voyer, Associate Director for Donor Relations and Collections. Gail, thank you so much for taking some time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. What is the change that is being made as far as eligibility for donation? Uh, The change that's being made is um, allowing anybody that was previously ineligible to donate that spent time in the... um, spent a cumulative of five years or more in France, um, the Republic of Ireland, or um, for between 1980 and 2001, or received a transfusion in those countries to donate, or if they spent a cumulative total of three months or more in the United Kingdom between 1980 and 1996, um, or received a transfusion in the UK, they are now eligible to donate. 
so a lot of different time frames there or time periods yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in those three in the UK, Ireland or France. Uh, how big of a, a change do you think this or how big of an impact will this have as far as do we even know how many people might now be eligible? I, I can't give you an exact number, but what I can tell you is from our data um, in the last five years that we we figure that there's approximately 7,500 people that have tried to donate in that time frame and that could potentially be eligible, assuming that they will meet um, some of our elig- other eligibility requirements. So that's only people that try to donate. So there could be a significant number that maybe said, you know what, I have a friend that you know got deferred because of this and I'm the same. So there could be additional people that um, maybe just aren't included in that number. And to to go back to when the ban was put in and how this was in in connection with with mad cow disease, why was this ban this this uh, for those time periods that you mentioned? Why was the ban put in place? You know what? Um, a number of blood operators put the ban in place just because there was little known about the human form of the uh, the variant uh, Crucibelt Jacob disease, so the VCJD, and the possibility of it being transmitted through blood. So three decades um, later, and lots of surveillance and research has uh, just demonstrated that we can remove the criteria related to the, the ex- uh, exposure of beef products and transfusions um, will not lead to an increase in the, the uh, Jacob Crucibelt disease. And do you know, and and if you don't, that's fine, but I was curious, do we know if if that disease was actually transmitted, that people did become infected through donated blood or plasma? Um, I don't, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I'd have to refer to someone else for that information. No, no problem at all. So so this is now, and is it effective immediately then that anybody that fits into those time periods, again, that you mentioned, they can now uh, donate blood or plasma? So they can now donate um, or donate as of December 4th. Um, we're calling on all those donors who were previously um, ineligible um, to be, you know, calling us at our one eight eight two donate or go to blood.ca to um, book their appointments on or um, after December 4th. And in the meantime, we're actually updating our system um, now that we've had that approval to remove that from any donors that could potentially be eligible, and we will be reaching out to them as well. And how are things as far as the need for donation and for people to make those appointments and give blood and plasma in that? I would imagine anything like this helps, but how, how high is the need at this time of year? You know, we do see um, the need become greater as we get into the holiday season. And so it's a perfect time for any donor, um, you know, anybody within this, you know, criteria now or a new donor that potentially wants to start a new tradition to um, book their first appointment or book an appointment if they haven't been with us in one of our donor centres in a long time. How long does it generally take for somebody if somebody books an appointment and then going through that whole process? You know, it only takes about an hour of your time. And I know people's time is very precious, especially at this time of year. Um, What I would say is that, um, you know, that hour every 56 days, if you're male or 84 days, if you're female, it's four to six times a year um, that you would be eligible to donate. Um, And so I would just ask that you take those four or six hours or one hour to start um, and just book your first appointment because you are needed. And there are patients that um, are waiting for life-saving products. Um, And the other thing I will say is that we also hear from a number of donors that 
they don't know if they're needed because um, they just they, they're not sure and they're, they're waiting to be asked. And so if I can say today is my ask that, um, you know, because of the new criteria, if you can come out and donate, we'd love to see you in our donor centers after December 4th. And if it's been a while, then uh, please book your appointment um, this week, this month um, and in the coming days. And are there certain blood types that are needed? I, I know probably all of them, but are there certain blood types that are needed more than others? Um, you know what, we often um, are calling out for the O-negative donors, which is our universal donor, but you are correct in saying that, you know, all donors are needed. Um, if you don't know your blood type, that's okay. You will find out after your first donation. So, um, but I would say that, yes, all donors are needed now, but uh, specifically O-negative donors um, as that universal donor would be um, definitely one we, we would need for sure over the holidays. And Gail, with the removal of this criteria, so, and again, people that had been banned from donating blood or plasma because they had spent time, again, as you said, either in the UK, Ireland, or France in the 80s and 90s. With the removal of that, is that one of the last, or was it the last kind of major barriers as far as who can donate and, and this opens it up more? Or are there still um, rules and place? Are there still groups of people who can't legally or or are not able, don't meet the criteria to donate? Yes, there there would be still um, some individuals that would be able to donate. Maybe it's because of where they've traveled, perhaps, or um, a lot of medications are pre-approved. But, um, you know, I ask you to check those in advance of your donation. Um, So there are still some individuals that can't uh, donate blood, but they might be eligible to donate plasma. Um, They could also potentially join our stem cell registry um, and register into our organ and tissues program. So if anybody is interested in doing something, you know, if they can't do one of those things, then I would just say, please go to blood.ca. There's many ways you can help and uh, make a difference in someone's life by just joining one of our programs. And is that the best place for someone to go as well if they want to donate, but they don't know? Uh, again, like you said, it could be where you somewhere where you've traveled or, or medications. So is there somewhere people can go and, and figure out if they meet the criteria? Absolutely. So blood.ca, and if you just click on the blood tab, it'll come up with our eligibility quiz, and you can take that quiz. If you have further questions really specific to, say, your health or anything that you might be concerned about, um, the 188 number um, is our best number to reach someone to have, you know, a a person at the other end um, answering any questions and then setting setting you up for success for your either first donation or maybe donation that you haven't done in a while. And, and and one other thing about that, it can be a bit daunting. I think maybe, like you said, if you haven't done it in a long time or if you're a first-time donor, how do you kind of calm fears, whether somebody has a fear about the needle or, or they're worried about the whole process, think it might be painful? How do you calm those fears? You know, and I think the first thing is um, I would just keep, I would say to someone just is keep the patient in mind. If it was your family member, friend, um, relatives that needed blood, um, we would all do whatever we could to help them. Um, I will say that our clinic teams are amazing at making people feel comfortable all throughout the process. So, and I would just encourage people to ask questions until they get there, either before they're in the donor center or while they're in the donor center. Um, I've talked to a lot of people that have a fear of needles and um, some, once they come in, will say, you know what, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. Um, Some were like, oh, I didn't feel it. 
And so I think the process is very individual. Um, I always say to help you with your first donation, bring a friend, um, sign up your office to come as a group and give back during the holiday season. Um, Most importantly is just give yourself the time to go through that process and make sure that you're comfortable while you're in our donor centres. All right, Gail, thank you so much for joining us with this update and a reminder for people on how to give and how to donate as well. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.